with me this evening to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 tonight. We're going to start reading a little bit here in uh, verse number 28. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 28. The Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give us his life a ransom for many. The Bible also tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse number 45, uh, almost nearly word for word, the same as, as uh, verse number 28 in Matthew. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 6, the Bible says, "He who or says who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time." Pray with me this evening, God, help us tonight. Lord, I just ask God for your presence tonight in the service, Lord. God, we can do nothing without you, Lord. We need you tonight. I need you, Lord. Hey. Psalms chapter eighteen says, Lord, that uh, that you'll light our candle, Lord, and that you'll give us and enlightenment and in darkness. And uh, God, we need your help tonight. God, we need your, need your presence with us. God, help me to proclaim the message that you've given me. God, I pray for your anointment. I ask that you'll anoint my lips to preach, Lord, tonight quickly and clearly and with understanding. God, I just need you to arise and give us some bread tonight, Lord, because I ain't got nothing, Lord, of myself. It's only what comes from you that'll last, Lord, and these people need something. They've come on a journey. Lord, we need you tonight. God, I pray that you'll be in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat> the Bible says in Hosea chapter 13, verse number 14, that I'll ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. The title of my message tonight is payday. Payday. Now we all like to get to payday. Uh, when I first started working on job sites, there was a gentleman that I worked with and he said the first thing you need to learn in construction son is that uh, payday's on Friday. That's one of the first things you need to know. He said if you're doing electrical work, he said the only other thing you need to know is don't touch two wires of a different color. <laughs> and payday will still be on Friday. But if you mess up on that, there's not going to be a payday on Friday. So uh, tonight I want to talk about payday. The Lord, the Bible says, he, he paid a ransom for our sins. He paid a ransom for our souls. The Bible says for all, he paid this ransom, and there was a payday. On Calvary, Jesus Christ, he suffered and he bled and he died to pay that ransom for us. And that was the payday. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 says, But Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. You know, there's some people that says that uh, this ransom was only paid for those that would actually receive it. That there's some people that won't receive it and that ransom wasn't paid for those that don't receive it. I say that God, the Bible tells us that God paid the ransom for every man. 
Not just for those that, 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 that he says is going to come to him. And, and I know that God is all-knowing. God is, God is almighty. He knows the ones that's going to be saved and the ones that's not. But he tasted death, the Bible says, for every man. He paid that price. We're prisoners in our sin. We've been held captive. The ransom that had to be paid was uh, because of the, we were held captive by our own sin nature. We were held captive by the, our, our nature, the sins in our lives, the, the things that we do that, that, that is uh, uh, contrary to God's word has caused us to be held as prisoners because of our own sin nature. That ransom had to be paid to release us, to free us from that. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he bought in bondage. We say that there's a price for everything. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Even so, when we were children... We're in bondage under the elements of the world. You know, it doesn't have to be that you've become to a point where you've sinned away and you've done all these things that, that it's like, okay, now you've become the property of the devil. You've done all this and you've gone too far and now you've, you've passed God's redemption. You've passed, you've passed the, the point the Bible tells us that from a youth, from a young person, that we, we come out, we're sinners from birth, yeah. the Bible says. I got, the, I got some young grandkids. I've had four youngins of our own, and every one of them was liars. Yeah. They, they got it from, they inherited it. Okay? Yeah. I'll just say that. They inherited it. It was passed down. It's a sin nature. It's that flesh that's in us. That we're born of corruption, the Bible says. Every one of them had a sin nature. <clears throat> How can we measure the cost, I wonder tonight, of the cross? I believe that the cost that Jesus paid in that ransom on that payday, we'll never know this side of heaven. The true cost that he paid that day. He, that, that he paid for ransom for our souls. In Mark chapter 8 and verse number 37. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What can we give of ourselves to exchange for our soul? To buy ourselves out of that prison. To ransom ourselves from that sin nature. How can we ever become, overcome that of ourselves? It's not possible. There's only one substitutionary death, one atonement that can be made to satisfy that ransom. That payday was paid on Calvary. Nothing but the sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ would ever pay the balance that was owned. Not only for me and my sins, but for the whole world. <clears throat> to say that Christ died for our sins seems inadequate. It'd be like trying to put the whole Word of God into one sentence. That Christ died for sinners. 
which is very true. But how do we put a price on what Christ has done for us? How can we ever even try to count up the cost? Just for a slight glimpse of the love of God that he's shown us. Let's look at a few things tonight. We'll try to count the cost a little bit that Christ paid on that payday. There are four things I want to look at tonight. First, the, the greatness of our guilt. The greatness of our guilt is a factor in that cost. Second, there's a just judge. Lord God in heaven. The sufferings of our Savior and a divine deliverance. <clears throat> First of all, Let's try to remember, if we can, the pit from which we've come. Amen. The sins which we've committed in our lifetime, the things that we've done contrary to God's Word, the sins that we committed not only outward that people's known about and that we've shown and displayed, but also and more importantly, the inward sins of the heart that nobody knows. Yes. The things that's only seen between me and God. The things that God, that God died for each and every one of those sins just as much as, as, and more so than the sins that come outwardly. Those things, those sins that's in my heart are the things that affect my life. Those are the things that affect my outward actions and deeds. When you have covetousness and greed in your heart, then you're going to be looking to try to crook somebody a little bit. Now, maybe you don't actually manifest that, but you've got a desire to. Those things inside your heart are just as much a sin as anything that we ever do outwardly. We can't even grasp the offenses of the guilt against the holy God by one sin so minor then it doesn't even seem like it's wrong. To understand God, you've got to understand His holiness and how holy He is. To understand that, that just the smallest little thing, the, the tiniest thought, the fleeting imagination that is contrary to God's will, a sin enough to condemn you to death, condemn you to hell forever. That one sin... One transgression against the majesty of heaven, the Creator, can never be atoned for in a lifetime of good service. You can't do enough. I don't care when you got started. You say, I only made one mistake in my life. And everything else I've done has been to try to serve God or to try to do good or to try to help other people. You can't do enough in your life to atone for that. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6 says, All our righteousness is, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Examine your life, not compare it to others tonight, Amen. but just look at ourselves. In the light of God, look at ourselves tonight. It's really easy for me to say, Well, Brother Bill, I'm not as ornery as you are, or, or Brother Phil, I've not done the things that you've done, or 
uh, Pastor, I, I don't have the same problems that you do, or Marcus, I'm a pretty good old boy compared to you. I mean, it's easy for me to do those things and compare myself to things that look bad among other people. You say, I'm not a doper. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a drug head. I don't drink. I don't beat my wife. I don't do these things. I try to live right. I come to church every Sunday. I put money in the offering pray. I get up here behind the pulpit. I've tried to preach. I go down and I work at camp and I try to teach young people about Jesus. There's all these things that I try to do. None of those things can ever atone for one mistake in our life. A sin against God. Let's examine our lives as a child disobedience to our parents lies no matter how minor wants and waywardness fighting against rules and restraints maybe our parents have only got good in mind for us but we don't see it in our lives I'm guilty we're all guilty in front of an almighty God as a youth, rest head on into the world and the sin, pleasures of sin. Not only sinning myself in ourselves, not only partaking in the things of the world, but teaching others to do the same and bringing them with us. How much more guilty are we? <clears throat> As we moved into adulthood, we think, well, with responsibilities, I'm going to settle down. Things are going to be better once I get married. Things are going to be better once I have children. I'm going to settle down. I hear a lot of people laughing. Y'all know better, don't you? As we move, you say, well, you know, I didn't do a real good job raising my family as a, as a young parent. My, my children growing up, I failed in so many ways, but, but now they're, they're gone, moved on, and, and they're, they're leaving our home, and, and they're starting to move, and they're making their own family, and, and I'm going to learn from the mistakes that I made, and I'm going to try to pass those things on to them, and I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better, when I get to be a grandpa, maybe at that point, then I can be a better person. No. It doesn't get better. The guilt stays and it keeps hanging on. It just keeps growing and growing. It doesn't get easier. We think, oh Lord, when will I be able to be better? When will I be able to shuck off this old sin, this old man, this sin nature in my life? When will I not have these problems, these desires, these things that come up in my life that cause me to stumble and to fail and to fall. At some point in my life, I know it's going to get easier, but it don't. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I wonder tonight if we could look into our hearts. If we could look into our hearts tonight, each and every one of us, heaven forbid that anybody else could see the things that are in my own heart. It's bad enough that a holy God knows these things. But for everybody else, 
And we think that in our mind, we're, we're concerned about the people around us. Oh, if they only knew how rotten and despicable I was. But there's a holy God in heaven that knows every intimate detail about our lives. And we put it off. And we think, well, someday there's going to be a payday. There's going to be a payday. Secondly, I'd like to look at the just judge in heaven. God's love is unbounding. God's greatness is unsurpassable. His mighty wonders of God. The creator. We look at all things around us. The flowers, the sunsets. I mean beautiful creations. Each and every person he made so intricately different. Such a mighty God. But more than anything, his holiness is above everything. God is holy. His holiness is greater than we could even find words to explain. My imagination cannot comprehend the holiness of God. I can't understand a God that is so holy that one minute sin, one intricate part of one person, if he allowed that to be in heaven, would destroy all that God is and all that God stands for. He's so holy. <clears throat> Love as we can feel it. We think about God's love. Our minds are, we have a hard time comprehending. We think of love in different ways than God actually shows love towards us. And we think of love. I know that, you know, love would, in our minds, in our mind's eye can, can affect the way that we look at things that people do to us. It makes it a lot easier to forgive somebody when you love them. There's a lot of things that we can overlook. And we can say, well, you know what? That was wrong and it was bad, but they're so close to me and I love them so much that I'm just going to look over that thing and I'm going to, we're not going to even deal with it. I mean, it's just something, we'll just put it behind us. But in God's eye, in God's love towards us, He can't do that. Our God is a just God. He's a just judge. He's so just and holy that He's not the God that we've built up in our imagination. We, we think of God weighing out transgressions. We think of God looking at things that we do wrong and there are certain things that, well, God just understands and God's not going to punish me for this as much as had I done something more severe. To God, a sin is a sin. Yeah. It doesn't have different weight. It all carries the same. Yeah. <clears throat> I've heard so many people say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. You know, I've never killed anybody. How many times have you ever heard that? I've never killed anybody. You know, have you ever hated anybody in your heart? Maybe you didn't even manifest it whatsoever, but it, in your mind and in your heart, you just have a distinct dislike for that person, a hatred for them. Yeah. 
The Bible says you're a murderer. God is so holy, we don't understand the thoughts and the imaginations of our mind that God looks at those things and He can see those things and, and they're, so, they're so real to God that we don't, even, we don't even feel like they're real unless they actually come out and they become actions. But God's holiness is so different from our, our own justification. God's justice is severe. For idle thoughts, idle words, evil deeds, punishment must be made. If you'll not accept the atonement of Christ, then you must pay for your sins in hell forever. God is going to send you to have everlasting hellfire punishment if you don't accept Jesus Christ's atonement. Punishment has to be made. God's holiness demands that He cannot permit one sin to go unpunished no matter how minor in our own eyes. A price that you can never pay even after all eternity in hell. You've not come any closer. There's men who've been paying the price of sin now for thousands of years. They've not come even one bit closer than the first day they were there. Eternity has gone on and moves forward. They'll never be closer than when they started. We can't pay the price. I think of the ransom price Christ paid. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says that he tasted death for every man. Oh, what a price Christ paid on that payday. Next, we'll look at the suffering Savior. The sufferings, as we look and we try to count the cost that Christ paid for this payday, this ransom that he paid... Not only in our own offenses. It's not only if we can imagine we start stacking them up and we put a price on each item in our lives and we put a price on each, each little sin that we've committed. And then we look at God's justness and His holiness and, and we say, what did it cost, Lord? What would it cost to pay for this? It can never be paid. Christ had to suffer on the cross for these sins, this debt that I owed that can never be paid. Christ had to suffer for that. He suffered on the cross. He was beaten. He was scourged. He bore the pain of the crowns on his brow. The Bible says that he, the nails that were drove in his hands and his feet, that his beard was plucked, that he was buffeted, he was beaten, he was torn unmercilessly. The humiliation that he was stripped. <clears throat> Not only that, but he was rejected. <clears throat> he was rejected by man. The people that he came to save, the people that he loved, the people that he came and he died for, hated him, reviled him. He was abandoned by his followers, the disciples. The ones that loved him the most in this world. They abandoned him. He was sold. 
The Bible says for 30 pieces of silver. He suffered for us. Physical pain that I cannot even imagine. But far more. What cannot be seen. The sufferings of Christ. The punishments he took on the cross was more, far more than the physical death that he took on the cross. Yeah, there was a lot of pain. God, all he, Jesus Christ, he went through. The Bible says that he, he was more than any man. He was more marred than any man. And the physical pain, unimaginable as it was, the Bible says that God forsaking him. He cried out while he was on the cross and he said, My father, why have thou forsaken me? Why? Because he couldn't look upon the sin. <clears throat> One man put it like this He said, Suppose for a moment a man who was put into hell. And all his eternal torment could be brought and compressed and condensed into one hour. From eternity, all that torment, all that punishment could be compressed into one hour. Okay? <clears throat> then, multiply that compression by all men that have ever lived. Yeah. Each and every person. Christ suffered an equivalent for all on that cross. A man said if hell was put into the cup, he seized it, and in one tremendous draught of love, he drank it dry. Can you imagine, if you will, the unseen part of that suffering of Christ? You know, we think so many times about Christ died for us. Christ, he, he, he suffered on the cross. He was beaten. And we think about all these things that the Bible talks about. And we can imagine these things in our mind, how, how Christ was beaten. We can imagine the crown of thorns. We can, we can imagine him bleeding and carrying his cross and the nails in his hands. And, and all these things, we can vividly picture these things in our mind. But how can you even comprehend the punishment that we each and every one of us deserved in hell forever, eternal. He took that upon himself. He drank that cup, the Bible says. <clears throat> Jesus' death on the cross gave God satisfaction for all the sins of all people. But that wasn't all. The Bible tells us that he rose again the third day, victorious over death and the grave. It didn't stop there. Whenever Jesus Christ died on that cross, whenever he took those sins upon us, the Bible says that he made an atonement for our sins. He paid the price. But he didn't stop there. He rose up from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. It wasn't only just taking that upon himself, but as a God, 
from heaven, the God of this Bible. He had to rise again. He had to conquer that, not only accept it, take it upon himself, but become victorious over it. That was the ransom price that God paid. The old song says that he paid a debt that he did not owe. And I owed a debt that I could not pay. That's called amazing grace. The price was high. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 through 8 says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us, from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man that hang on a tree. In Titus chapter 2 and verse number 4, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify us unto himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He took our punishment upon him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. For he hath made unto him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ hath once suffered for sins, one time, for the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, and but being quickened by the Spirit. Amen. Psalms chapter 103 and verse number 12. As far as the east is from the west, Amen. so far he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him as with his stripes we are healed. Yes. He led captivity free. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8, Wherefore he saith when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. We're bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20, For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 23, You're bought with a price, be not the servant of men. Reject him and look for another way is what we end up doing. All these things that he's done for us. He paid the ransom price. We've been bought. He's done all these things. He's led us captivity captive. He's brought us freedom. We have liberty in Christ. But then we look in our own mind. We've got to say, there's another way. I've got to figure this out on my own. There's got to be a different way to heaven. There's all these other people that's going their own way. There's got to be a way that I can make this work without Jesus Christ. We look for our own salvation. We look for our own uh, goodness in our own lives. But the Bible says that he's the only way. We reject what God's done for us. In Samuel, the Bible's talking there about the, the nation of Israel that they decided they was wanting a king. And they told Samuel that they wanted a king. And Samuel went to God and he said they're wanting a king. And Samuel was the prophet. 
And he was upset about this. And God told him, he said, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king. They're looking for another king. We do the same thing in our lives each and every day. We're looking for another king. We want somebody else to be sitting on the throne of our hearts. We ain't got time for God. We don't want to deal with his holiness. We want to live our own lives. We want to control our own lives. <coughs> Excuse me. We want to be the own king of our lives. We want to set self on the throne. And the Bible says that we rejected Christ and we're looking for another. In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse number 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In Mark chapter 7, in verse number 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. You keep your own tradition. God has given us commandments in our lives. God has laid out a path a direction that we need to follow. God has he's given His Son. He's paid the ransom. There's only one way, but we want to direct, di- directly follow our own paths. We want to follow our own traditions. We reject the Christ. We reject, we reject the ransom payment that was paid to follow our own paths. In John chapter 12, verse number 48, He that rejected me and received not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You reject God. You reject the ransom payment for sin with him sending his son to die and to suffer on the cross. You're going to be judged. There's going to be a payday. The Bible says you're going to be judged out of his word. In the last day. The other thing that we do so many times, maybe we haven't rejected Christ completely. We want to accept Him. We want Him to, we want to accept His ransom. We want to accept the gift. We know that we can't pay that cost, that price on our own. But then we want to just forget that it ever happened. We've been through an ordeal. The things in our lives, the sins in our past, and all these problems that's came up, God saves us from it, and we want to just put it behind us. And at some point you should, and you need to, and you don't need to be letting the devil bring you up and slap that in your face all the time. But there's another side of it that you need to remember the hole that God pulled you up out of. You need to remember what God's done for you. We don't need to be living as though it never happened. We just live our life as though it never happened. Say, well, I was here, but I'm not there no more by the grace of God. And now I'm just going to live my life and do the best I can. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians verse number 5, chapter 5 and verse number 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You're no more your own person. You've been bought with a price. 
That ransom price, that price that Christ paid for our lives, that soul, you can't even imagine, we can't put a number on it. We can't even begin to understand. Yet we turn from him and we try to live in our own selves. It's like we have no love for him. We have no, we have no concern for what he's done for us. What do you do for somebody that has saved you from, from a horrible problem? You know what? If somebody comes up and they're going to be a help to me, you know, I have a, they have a closeness with me. I want to try to be closer to them. I have a love that grows from them like I never had before because of what they do for me or what they have done for me. Not a conditional love, but because the things that they have done makes me have a closeness to them. God gave us his son. God loves us. He pulled us out of this sin hell and he gave us a, a path to live and a righteousness and, and yet we want to control our own lives. We want to live our own way. And we have no more concern for God than other than that he gave us a good fire insurance. He pulled us out of hell. He straightened my life up. But we don't want to serve him. Let's not get carried away. Let's not get radical about this. How much do you love him? What has he done for you? I think of myself, I, I can't even begin to think. You know, I feel so horrible about, I don't love God like I need to. I don't. I don't even begin to love him the way I need to. I have way too much concern for myself. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7 For who maketh you to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? If thou didst receive it why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9 But now after that you have known God or rather have known of God how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be into bondage. How many times have I turned from God? How many times have I went back to that hole that God dug me out of? The sin in my life that it seems like I just can't get rid of. How many times do I turn back to that? Why? I submit to you tonight, it's a lack of love. It's a lack of love. I'm going to tell you, there's a reason that I don't go running around on my wife. Because I love her. I love her. She's the best thing ever happened to me other than my salvation. There's a reason that I want to go home at night. Well, there's a couple. She's a pretty good cook, too. <laughs> but I love her. Why do we turn from God? Why do we go back to the world? Because we don't have enough love for Him. We don't think, we don't count the cost. We don't see what He's paid for us. Christ has paid that ransom. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free 
and be not entangled again with that yoke of bondage. Tonight we need to choose our master. Can you imagine in our minds we know that Christ paid the ransom but just, just with me for a little bit let's just try to think that a person that had been kidnapped maybe a child somebody that's been kidnapped and they've been brought and they've been taken captive and a ransom note had been written and it came to your home or or wherever it may be. And they say, if you ever want to see this person alive again, you're going to have to pay this money. There's only one way, and that's to make a payment. And let's say that in your minds, okay, we, let's say that everything works out the way that the storybooks say that they're supposed to, and, and we paid the price, and we got the, they were happy, and they returned it, and we all had a good business deal, and we decided not to, not, to, not to have any more dealings, and everything's great and fine. That's not the way things work out in real life, okay? <clears throat> so, but let's just imagine that that's the way it was. And the person that had came, maybe it was a family member of yours, a child, a son, or a daughter, and you brought them out of this horrible pit. They were being beaten. They were being tortured. And you drug them out of that. You paid the price to bring them out of there. And you bring them home. One of two things happened. Let's say the first thing. They came home. They left their captors but they had no concern for you whatsoever. Yeah. Just, just snubbed it off. Well, you're my parent. That's what you're supposed to do. Oh, yeah. You know? <clears throat> Would you say that person doesn't have the love that they ought to yeah. in their heart for you? There's no gratefulness whatsoever. Yeah, I came home. You brought me back. But that was your job. Okay? We do that as Christians to God. Jesus Christ paid that ransom price for us. And we have no more concern for the things of God than anything. We say, well, God, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you, you're God, that's why you're God. Because you did that for us. And we have, we, yeah, you know, I'm thankful that I'm no longer in that position, but... Uh, not enough to do anything about it. Let's look at the second scenario. Let's say that this child or whoever that might have been, you paid that ransom price. You paid the money. The agreement had been made. The bargain was kept. But that child had no desire to leave. They ain't so bad here. At least they haven't killed me. I think I'll just stay here. They said they could bring me in and make me part of their gang, part of their group. They're going to accept me. And I'll just stay with them. You say, that's insane. How could anybody even fathom something like that? How could you even think that somebody would even begin to do something like that? 
Yet every day, all over this world, and I'd say probably even in this conversation, con congregation, we have people that are lost. And God has paid the ransom price for your soul. And you want to stay in your current condition. You have no desire to change. No desire to leave. In fact, you're even embracing what's going to kill you. When the price has already been paid. You know what? There's going to be a payday. There's going to be a payday. Christ has paid the ransom. A great price. With His amazing grace. He saved me. Unworthy. Hell deserving. The price that He paid for my soul, I don't even begin to measure up to. I wasn't worth it. Yet He thought I was. He said, you're my creation. And you're worth it. I look at myself as so undeserving, unworthy, that he would even come down from heaven, leave his throne, his glory, yeah. take upon him the form of man, suffer and die. Not only the physical punishment and the physical death, but to take that eternal damnation that I deserved upon himself. <clears throat> I want to ask you tonight, have you accepted or rejected his payment? First of all, if you've rejected Christ and that's what you've done, You've sat under preaching. You've been convicted. You've heard God has suffered and died for you. You know. But you're not willing to give up the old flesh. You're not willing to give it over to God. You've rejected Him. When you say, not yet. When you say, I'm not ready. When you say, maybe a little bit later in my life. Maybe after I settle down. Maybe after I have a family. Maybe after my children are grown. You keep pushing God away. He's handing you a free gift and you slap it away from you. You've rejected Christ. It's not like going to the grocery store when you say, well, I really like the looks of that thing. Or, or going to the car lot and say, boy, I'd really like to have that car, but I can't afford it right now. Maybe two months from now or maybe when I can afford it, you've not rejected it, you've just, you're just putting it off. You can't put off salvation. One of two things happen. You either accept Him or you reject Him. You reject the sovereign God and the gift Him He's given you. Don't keep slapping away the hand that holds the gift of eternal life. The gavel of judgment is going to fall on you for all eternity. It's got to be a payday someday. Jesus Christ paid it, but if you don't take it, then you're going to have to try to pay it yourself and you can't never do it. Secondly, tonight, believers, Christians, are you living 
as though you have nothing to owe? Are you living as though Christ did what he had to do and let's just put it behind us? Remember the price he paid. If we tried to count up the cost, we can't even begin to imagine. But what do you think your soul's worth? We read that verse earlier. It says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? <clears throat> if you was to stand before a mighty judge tonight, God Almighty, his throne in heaven, and you knew that you deserved eternity in hell, you knew that you were guilty. And God says, what can you give? What can you offer? The price is high. As a man, what can we give in exchange for our soul? I'd say we would try to give everything we had. Everything that we could have ever accumulated. All of our farms and our homes and our cars and our four-wheelers, everything, every money in the bank account. The Bible even talks about people. It says, though I give my body to be burned. Your sacrifice isn't good enough. It's only what Christ has done. And no more. If you'll stand with me tonight.